Let us pray. Father God, we have come to you now in worship, and we have come to you in prayer. We have gathered in fellowship. We have lifted one another up. We have reached out and connected in bonds of unity in Jesus Christ. And Lord, we thank you. We are so ever grateful for that, this awesome thing you've given us in the church. God, right now we submit ourselves up to your word. I ask, Lord, that you, you, you do for us what you can only do uh, in your word. Wash us by it and, and let it be seed for the sower. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So Colossians chapter 2, uh, verses 1 and 2. If ye then, being risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on the earth. Amen. So, he starts out with an if statement. If ye then be risen with Christ. If you are saved, if you are born again into the newness of life, if your soul has been redeemed by the work of the Holy Spirit, if you have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, have you placed your trust in Jesus' sacrifice? Do you trust the forgiveness that you have in Christ? That's where a lot of us get tripped up, you know. I mean, it's, and I mean it, we believe that Christ can save us. We believe that, that you know, he died on the cross for our sins. But when we go to God, holy God, who is holy and righteous, and we are, we are ultimately aware of our sinful state, and the, you know, like, like David said, my sin is ever before me. It's, you know, we trust God that he is good, but I just don't know that he can forgive me or that he has forgiven me because I know what I did. And I know what I did knowing that I shouldn't have done it. It's like a, a sheep who is caught in a pigsty. You know, they're white with wool, and they get caught in the, in the mud. And the sheep that's in the mud bays out and says, get me out of this mud. But he's still got mud all over him. Amen. Still covered in, in the, that old mess. And the pig gets in the mud and just rolls around in it. The pig's as happy as a lark in the mud. At home in the mud. That's the difference between those who are saved and still have problems because we are still in this same flesh that we were before we got saved. And those who are not saved and they just wallow in their own mud. See, the, the lambs, sometimes they still get dirty. The difference is they don't like it. And I see it. I can tell it when I'm dirty and it makes me feel nasty. I just want to be washed. I want to be clean. Get me out of this mud. I'm the one that walked into it. But now that I'm here, I don't like it. Amen. I don't want it. It looked good. It looked cool. And ref- but it's not. It's a lie. I don't like it. Get me out of it. Amen. If you have been risen with Christ, I wonder, have you put your faith in his forgiveness? In his forgiveness. I, I'm, I'm very careful about the hyper grace uh, sentiment. You know, I'm not, I'm not the guy that's going to tell you it doesn't matter what you do. Because we are called to a standard of holiness. 
But I will tell you, there is no sin that is too great. My sins, they are many. His mercy is more. His mercy is more. The question is, do you trust? And that's what faith, that's what saving faith is all about. Do you trust? Do you believe that he has forgiven you? Yeah, he died for me. And that, that he was punished. He took my punishment. But does that, can I go before God in right standing and talk to him as if he were daddy? Yeah, of course you can. Of course you can. But do you believe it? I think a lot of us, we don't approach God as daddy. Uh, we see him as judge. And he is. But he's daddy judge. I would, I would rather have my daddy judging me than anybody else in the world. Because my daddy will look upon me with compassion. My daddy will say, oh, you know, son, I know, I know your heart. I know that this just ain't you. My daddy will say, you know, let's, let's work through this. My daddy will, will pick me up and set me back on my feet and he'll say, now that was bad. Let's not do that ever again. There will be consequences. Don't do it again. But my judge slams the gavel down and says, that's it, you're out of here. Now, there's a point where God has to play both roles. And there's a day when he will be judge. But for right now, he's daddy. Do we approach him as daddy? If you are risen with Christ, he is your daddy. Amen. If you have faith that he has forgiven you, and I can go to him wearing not my robes, not that ugly sin, that, that mud, but the robes that Christ gave me. I think we get so tripped up on that. We go to God not we go to God thinking I don't deserve anything. And I don't. That's the absolute I don't deserve anything, but Jesus does. Amen. Yeah, amen. There is so much that was purchased on the cross yes. in the atonement. Amen. So much, I mean sure, he purchased you know, heaven and hell. He purchased life and death. He, he bought that. He bought my salvation, okay? He bought my ticket to eternity, not just to eternity because everybody has an eternity. He bought my ticket into heaven. Jesus purchased that on the cross, but he purchased so much more. Amen. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Hallelujah. We have a daddy who loves us. And we have a Christ that because of his sacrifice, our daddy has forgiven us. Amen. Do you trust that he's forgiven you? So when you go to him, you go to him without guilt. Without doubting. You know, you cannot go to him with a guilt-ridden heart and have faith. Do you, know, do you realize that? Because guilt will kill your faith. Amen. Guilt says, I don't, I, I'm going to ask him for it. He's not going to do it anyway because how could he forgive me? I'm going to lay this out there. I'm going to put this on his altar. But, you know, it's, I, I, know, I know I'm wicked. I know I've done evil. And, I, and even yesterday, this morning, I woke up and I did something that I shouldn't have. I had a thought I shouldn't have had. Or, I, you know, I, I looked at that thing I shouldn't have looked at. Or, you know, and I, I, just, I was just a weak moment and I did it and, and I feel awful about it. And, and who am I? How can I even go to this holy God and say, I need? Because guilt kills your faith. And I know, that's why Paul talks about us being free. There's freedom in Christ. 
There's, we are free from the law and free from, from sin because we are free from that guilt. We can go to God through the power of Jesus Christ and the, the fellowship of his suffering before God and approach him as daddy. That same spirit where, of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Abba, Daddy, Daddy, Father. If you then have been, if you then be risen with Christ. So when you, when you get that guilt under control, when you, when you have faith, saving faith in the forgiveness so that you can walk into his presence as his child that he loves, set your things, set, seek those things which are above. Which are above. Now, he's not just talking about up. We know this, right? Because up for me is not the same thing as up for someone on the other side of the planet, like in Australia. If I look up and they look up at the same time, we're looking two different directions. It's not up Amen. when he says things above. That's obviously that's a euphemism for what? For heaven. How do we know this? Because he gives a qualifying statement afterwards. Above, uh, what you say? Where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Where does God dwell? In heaven, where's his tabernacle? In heaven, where's his throne? In heaven, where's Christ seated? In heaven, with God. Set your sight, set your, seek things above which are with Christ. In heaven. So seek things in heaven. And then he qualifies his statement. He gets it even, even more clear in verse 2. He says, set your affection. So seek things that are above. Now set your affection. Turn your heart, your, 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 your love, your interests your, your pursuit, your desire, your satisfaction on things above. Not, just in case you weren't clear about it, not on things on the earth. That's why Jesus can say, except you hate your brother and your father or your mother, you can't follow me. Your love for them can't look like your love for me. If you love them more than you love me, then you're not setting your sights on things that are above. You haven't set your affection on things that are above. You've set your affection on things that are of the earth. And I will not have any other gods before me. So Paul is telling us in here, he's telling us to pursue things in heaven, not things here on earth. And this is not a suggestion. This is a direct commandment. If you are saved by grace through faith in Jesus, then you are to seek things that are heavenly. Set your sights on heaven. Amen? Amen. I, I don't, he did not mincing words about it. If you are risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. If you're saved, if you call yourself redeemed, then your affections ought to be towards heaven, yes, not towards things of the earth. Boy, that's a um, man, that's a paradigm shifter right there. It's a paradigm shifter. <clears throat> Why might that be? Why do we have to set our sights on heaven? Why not worry about the here and now? I mean, I, I'm saved, right? That, that was a qualifying statement. If you then being risen with Christ... I'm saved, I, I'm risen with Christ in a new life, I've put my, my faith, my hope into, into His saving grace and His forgiveness and justification before God, my ticket has been punched, I have secured an eternity in heaven because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So why worry about it? 
I mean, that, that part's done, right? I need to worry about here and now. I need to worry about here and now. Well, a church, if that's the mentality that you think or that you have about heaven and eternity, that's like saying that this minute, right here, this minute that I'm living in right now, not the next minute, but this one, not the past minute, but this minute right here is the most important minute of my life. And I don't have to do anything in this minute that looks forward to the future or that, that cares about the future as long as I satisfy whatever desire I have right now. And folks, that's stupid. You can blow it all in a minute. You can blow it all in a minute. And then what do you got the rest other 60, 70 years of your life? Some of you less. Some of you maybe a little bit more. It's like spending all day at the beach and never looking up to enjoy the beach because you're focused on trying to find one grain of sand, a particular grain of sand. How insignificant is a grain of sand to the beach? And that's, that's your life on earth to eternity. This life is brief. That's why he says set your sights. Set your affection on things above and not things on earth. Because this life is, is short. First Chronicles, I believe it is, yes, First Chronicles 29, 15. For we are strangers before thee and sojourners. We, as were all our fathers, our days on earth are as a shadow and there is none abiding. Our, our life is like a, a shadow. Our days are just shadows. There's no permanence to a shadow. There's no substance to a shadow. It's, it's nothing more than a, a weak, loose approximation of the real thing. Do you realize that your life is just a weak, weak loose approximation of the glory that you'll have in Christ in eternity? It's, it's just a shadow. It's just a shadow. This is not your home. This is not what we look forward to. We don't store up treasures here. We store up treasures in heaven. All that you see around you and all that you taste and all that you hear and all that you enjoy, those are just shadows of the reality of eternity. Amen. James 4, 14. He says, for what is your life? It is even a vapor. What is your life? It's just a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Your life on earth is just a, a wisp of vapor. Gone as quickly as it came into being. Gone. This is not your home. This is not your destination. But we live like it is. And we spend like it is. We spend our time like it's our final resting place. We spend our talent like it's our final home. We spend our treasure like it's our final home. We don't spend with an eternity in mind. Amen. The Bible clearly teaches us that we are just travelers through a foreign land. We're on our way to an eternal home. You know, my family and I, we recently went on vacation to Florida. We went to Universal Studios and to Disney World. It was an epic Epic adventure for us. And this is the first time we've ever done anything like that. So it was a, a, a fun time, and I'm glad that we got to do it. But, you know, we don't, we don't do things like that often. It took months of planning, even, even years. I don't remember how far back we began having conversations about this trip. 
and we began saving money, and Casey spent planning and reading and researching and, and doing itineraries and looking at hotels and, you know, what's the schedule going to look like? And if we get this ticket, what does it do to us? Over? I mean, it was months of intense planning, and that was just for a vacation. That was just for an 11-day trip, and, and we got to come home after that. So if anything went wrong on that trip, I still got to come home. Amen. If it didn't go to plan, I got to come home. If, if we got down there, and on the way, they called me and said, Dad's in the hospital, which did happen, and we had to turn around and come back, that's okay. I still had home to come to. Mm -hmm. That is not the case with eternity. Amen. That is a, that's a one-and-done thing. Yeah. You don't get to come back from that. If it doesn't go to plan, you're, you're sunk. You're out of luck. Amen. I hope that you had planned for it. I hope that you had put some time in, in seeking that over there. Amen. Amen. Setting your affection on those things. Turning your attention towards those things. Laying up treasure there because you're going to be there a lot longer than you are here. Just out of curiosity, anyone know how long eternity is? You do? How long is eternity? You take the world's smallest bird, they want to step out to the outside of the largest mountain in the world, and get one beak full of that dirt, fly the way around the world, and reveal that mountain in the sky. That mountain is moved, and that is the beginning of eternity. The beginning of eternity. I mean, what is it, a thousand years? The, a billion years? A billion, billion years? When does eternity? It doesn't. There's no, measure. There's no measure for it. It is ongoing and ongoing and ongoing and ever and ever and ever, and your life is but a vapor. Why are we living like it's the end-all, be-all? There's no such thing as a round trip from eternity. There's a reason that Jesus tells us to lay up those treasures in heaven and not here on earth. And we're going to get into some broad implications of that in the new year. For now, I want you to understand, though, that, that there are things that you do here and now, in the here and now, that have eternal consequences, okay? Consequences beyond whether or not you get to go to heaven to be with God or whether or not you are cast into outer darkness. I mean, yes, that's huge, and that's, that's, we want to make sure we get that right. Am I going to heaven or am I going to hell? We want to make sure that we, we get that right, all right? That is first and foremost, because nothing else matters if you aren't going to the right spot. If you haven't put your hope in Christ, forget the rest of it. You have one destination. But when, when we get to heaven, so looking beyond whether or not you go to heaven or whether or not you go to hell, there are things that you do in this life that have an impact on not whether you go to heaven, but, but how you spend eternity in heaven. And a lot of people don't give much thought to that. Because they don't have a very biblical view of, of heaven. The Bible has a lot to say about what heaven's going to be like. Amen. Amen. And we just think it's all going to be one big, big church service, and it's not. There's a lot more going on in heaven than what most people have given thought to. Amen. There are things that we do in this life. If you do not set your sights on things above, there are things that you do in this life that will have a direct impact on your life, your eternity, for the rest of forever in heaven. Amen. Now, yeah, you're in heaven, and that's great. That's wonderful, it's far better, infinitely better than your existence here. But even there, there are things. Consider the parable of the talents. 
When Jesus, remember he gave the, the, the he talks about the master, he gave the talents to the, the people, and the ten talents to one, and the five to the other, and the two to the one, and the, the guy that, that had the ten talents, he gave much to, what did he do with them? He doubled them, right? And he gave them ten cities. And then he gave the, to the guy that had five talents, he went out and he, he doubled that. So he took five to ten, he gave him five cities. So they both got rewards, but based on their work, their, their produce, they were rewarded differently. You see that? Were they both happy? Did he say both of them come in and enter into the rest of your master? Absolutely. But they were rewarded differently. There's a lot to cover about that in the coming year. If the Bible is to believed, and, and it is, then heaven and hell and eternity in heaven or hell, those are very real. Very real places, very real things. And everybody, and I mean that means everybody, everybody will be resurrected in the last day. It's not just a resurrection of the just or a resurrection of the righteous. Everyone, the righteous and the wicked, will be resurrected. Some will be resurrected into new life, and some will be resurrected into eternal judgment. And that is taught in Scripture, uh, Daniel 12, 2. And many of them that sleep, he's talking about they're, they're, they're dead, that's the state of the body, in the dust of the earth they shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. In John, John chapter 5, 28 and 29, Jesus says, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice. How many that are in the graves are going to hear his voice? Everybody. Everybody that's ever breathed a breath and has ever breathed their last breath, everybody that has ever come and gone will hear his voice. And what is going to happen to them when they hear his... The dead are going to hear his voice. I didn't know the dead could hear. But they're in a position where they very well can hear, and they will hear him calling, just like he stood at the grave of Lazarus and said, Lazarus, come forth. He will stand and say, come forth, and the dead will what? They will come forth. All of them. Everybody. And those that have done good, they will come forth into what? Resurrection of life. And those that have done evil, unto the resurrection of damnation. Everybody has an afterlife. Amen. Everybody, heaven and hell are real things for everybody. And if you're to believe Jesus when he talks about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, do you remember the parable with the, uh, the rich man and Lazarus? Those that are in hell will be able to see all the goodness of heaven. And oh, what torment that will bring them. Everybody, all the righteous and the wicked will be raised from the dead of the last day. And you cannot seek things above if you do not embrace this. You See, this, this ought to have an eternal perspective. When you set your heart on things above, you have an eternal perspective. You're looking for eternity. You're looking at, at the, 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 you know, the, the forever nature of our, our eternal being. That ought to make you weep for your brother who doesn't get it. Amen. It should change your perspective. Because why? Everyone is resurrected in the last day. Some to a new life, some to eternal damnation. Everybody is raised. You may be secure. You may feel great about where you're going. I've punched my ticket. I've done what I've got to do. I, my hope is in Jesus, and that's, that's good. I'm, I'm going to heaven. And brother, I'm, I'm sure of that, that I'm going to heaven. Um, and I look forward to being called home on that day. But 
just as sure as you are about your place in heaven, there are people all around you who are not as sure as you. In fact, there are people around you who don't know Christ as Savior at all, and if they were to die today, they would die without hope. They would be among those who are resurrected into eternal damnation. Be cast out into eternal torment, and that should break your heart. It should break your heart. Philippians 3.17, Paul is writing, and he says, Brethren, be followers together of me. That's... That's the word there, together. You remember that from this morning? First thing, together. We are the church. We, together, me and you, are the church. Be followers together of me. We are church together. Paul says, follow my example, do what I do, live like I live. He says, and mark them which walk so as ye have an example in us. Now take, he says, take note of those people who walk in like fashion. Take note of those people who are living the same way that, that the apostles are living. We're an example for you. You follow our example. Take note of others who are following our example and living in the same way that we're living. We ought to take note. Why? Because they are our brothers and sisters in Christ. He says in verse 18, for many walk. That's a euphemism. It's not just walking. It's how you conduct your life. Many live. He says, I've told you about these guys often, and now I'm going to tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. So Paul says there are many who don't get it. Uh, many of them. And I, I've told you about them often. I've told about you about them many times. And they, they just don't see. They don't get it. And, and even now as I'm writing this letter, there are tears running down my face because it breaks my heart. Because I know the eternal glory that I'm destined to, but I also know the eternal damnation that I was headed for before I had that encounter on the road with Jesus Christ. I, I, I have an image of, of what that's going to be like, a life, an eternity without Him, without that glory, even if it's just the absence of it. Forget torture. It's just the absence of, that, of the presence of that glory. I don't want that for anybody. And my heart breaks for Him. Does your heart break for the lost? If not, it should. Because if it's not, you're, you're not setting your sights on things that are above. So my heart breaks. My heart breaks for these people because I know what they're headed for. My heart breaks for my Savior because I know that He died for them. He died to give them away and they, they just don't see it. They don't get it. And am I, not, am I not opening the door for them? He gave us the keys to the church, to the kingdom. I've got to open the door for these people. I've got to see that they can walk through it. My heart breaks because they've not, they've not done it. Does your heart break for the lost? Because their end is their destruction. They're enemies of the cross of Christ. Their, their end is destruction. I know the hell that they're going to. They're going to be destroyed eternally, forever and ever, without end, torment, pain. And they don't even know it. And Jesus died so they could be free from that. And that grieves me. Verse 19, says, these guys, these whose end is destruction, the, these guys who are lost, they are blinded by Satan, their God isn't God. It's not the God of the Bible, their God is their own belly. They serve their own appetites. Whatever they crave, that's what they serve. We see a lot of that in the church, folks. A lot of that in the church. Jesus said to deny yourself and take up your cross, but people aren't doing that. They serve their appetites. I need a new boat. 
I need to. I heard a lady one time. I was at a. We were in. We were visiting NASA. Casey had a conference, and the girls and I we were in Houston, and I took them for the day to go visit NASA. We were sitting at a, a table, and all the people were sitting around us. I heard a group at another table. It's a church group, and the lady. Oh, I just wanted to slap her. She said, "I feel. I just really. God is calling me to have a bigger house. He wants me to have something a lot nicer than what I have. Fine." Great, you get yourself a bigger house, you go into that debt, shackle yourself with that bondage of debt so that when it comes time to give, you don't have it to give. You are so strapped in debt, you can barely make the bills just to keep the house running, to pay the mortgage. Go ahead, put yourself in that bondage. That's exactly where God wants you. I wanted to slap her, I, but I didn't know her. So I, if, if I had known her, it probably wouldn't have been right to slap her. Probably. God is their belly. And he says, whose glory is in their shame. These are the people, oh man, Christian, people who call themselves risen with Christ. Christians who ought to be seeking things above who are not serving God though. They're serving their bellies, their appetites, and they're glorying in their shame. Don't you know God wants you to be happy? So he wants you to have that big house because that will make you happy. What about when you're not happy with your spouse? Get you another one. He wants me to be happy. Do you know that people justify that? They justify marriage and divorce and divorce and remarriage. And they, I'm going to find myself a new spouse because I'm not happy with this one. And God wants me happy. Look what God gave me. I got a new wife. You know, that's exactly what they used to do in the church. That's why they asked Jesus about divorce because Moses said, because of your, 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 uh, your hard hearts and your, you know, I just, Moses let you do it because you just were, I mean, you were just evil about it. He said, but I'm not going to let, he said, no, I'm not going to let you do that. They used to glory in that. I got a new wife. Forsake the old one. Do you know that that's, that's why mar- the reason marriage exists is so that we could have a picture of how Christ loved the church? Amen. The whole reason that we have a marriage, that the institution was even created, is so that we could have a picture of Christ in the church. For this call shall a man leave his father, mother, and cleave unto his bride. Jesus, who was God, word made flesh, left heaven. He left his throne to come to earth, to become flesh, to create for himself a bride that he could marry. And we have one, one bride, one spouse. Amen. Oh, but God wants you happy. Glory in your shame. They glory in their shame. And here's the real kicker. See that this, this list of people, those whose, whose God is their belly, who, who glory in their shame, they're the enemies of the cross of Christ. What does it say at the very end? What do they think about? They mind earthly things. They mind earthly things. This is so important that we change our perspective. We cannot be focused on the here and now. There is work to do in the here and now, but it is work to do for there. Lay up treasures for yourselves in heaven. Seek those things which are above, not those things which are of the earth, whose mind is on things, earthly things. That stands in stark contrast to those who are risen with Christ, 
as we saw in Colossians 3.1, who seek things above. Church, you need an eternal perspective. I'm going to finish out really quick. Um, yeah, I'm just a little bit over time. For our conversation is in heaven. Nearly every other translation says our citizenship is in heaven. Conversation literally means a way of life. Our home is in heaven. From whence we also look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. You're going to get a new body. Just like Christ's body, one that doesn't have sickness, one that doesn't ever end. Did you know he is physically set at the right hand of God? The Bible said when he arose into heaven, he arose bodily into heaven. He's not up there in some, you know, incorporeal, disembodied, floaty state. He's physically there in a physical flesh and blood body that does not rust, does not get corrupt, glorified, and you'll get one of those. Well, that's something to look forward to. Eternal bodies, healthy, just like Jesus. I think we get so bound up in what's in front of us sometimes. We spend all day laboring over that one grain of sand and we cannot see the beach and the glory that the beach has. Just the beauty that that is in a day at the beach. And man, what a day it's going to be. What a day it's going to be. What does an eternal perspective do for you? The implications for something, for an eternal perspective, are far-reaching. What does it do for your compassion towards one another? When you have a, an eternal perspective and not a here-and-now perspective. What does it do for your generosity and your, your giving to one another? What does it do for your forgiveness of others? How does it impact your, your evangelism, your, your willingness to speak to others about the gospel when you have an eternal perspective? We're going to explore some of that in the coming weeks. Someone who thinks on things above approaches all of those things differently than those who do not. And that's where we are to be called. We are to be called. We are called to be heavenly minded. Now there's an old saying that says, don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. I've said it before. It's tongue in cheek. But today I say fooey on that. Some of us are so earthly minded that we're no earthly good. We could use all the heavenly mindedness we could get. Our problem isn't being heavenly minded, okay? No one ever had a problem with being too heavenly minded. Let me just put it out to you that way, okay? Our problem is that we're too earthly minded, that we are no earthly good and we're no heavenly good. We need an eternal perspective. We're going to explore this in the coming weeks. I hope it is a blessing to you and I've kept you six minutes longer than I intended to. So let us pray. And we'll dismiss, and y'all have a, we'll go into the great new year, all right? Father God, we thank you for your, your word. It is light and life. It is holy. It is good. And we just, we just appreciate you for it, Lord. I pray that it is, it is uh, food for our souls. Help us to, to, um, to submit ourselves up to it. God, give us an eternal perspective. Help us to see things in light of eternity so that when we make decisions, when we see others, when we, when we, we see others struggling and, and others who don't know you, Lord, that we, we know it's very in the forefront of our thoughts that, man, there's an eternity waiting for them, and we've got to do everything we can to make sure it is secured. Father, we love you. Send us home safely. Bless us in the new year. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.